episode 301. What is up with the hospital and payer transparency rules from CMS now and also after January 20th? Today, I speak with Jeff Liebeck. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Three transparency roles have come out of CMS in the past months. My guest today, Jeff Liebeck, calls these three roles three steps on a ladder. They build on each other. The first role was announced last year, and it was for hospitals to post their charge masters. You could consider this a baseline step. It's not really all that useful in practice, as many discovered. The next step on the ladder, which is coming out on 1121, providers, hospitals, for all services, have to post a machine readable file, all of their negotiated rates for all service categories. They also have to post a shoppable service file and or some kind of patient estimator tool so patients can estimate the cost of the most shopped services. Then there's the payer role. This is more comprehensive than the provider role, and the payers have some extra time. Actually, they have an extra year till 1122, but basically payers have to comply at a higher level. They have to allow price shopping across all sites of care. My guest today, Jeff Liebeck, is a director with GuideHouse in the healthcare practice. He focuses on how healthcare services are priced and paid for, working with a lot of payers and providers. Thus, he is the perfect person to discuss these transparency rules with because of his deep knowledge of payers and provider contracting and also how pricing impacts patients, employers, and stakeholders across the industry. Jeff and I get into these three transparency rules and their likely impact and also kind of their philosophical underpinnings. We also talk about what might happen with them under a Biden administration. After our conversation, I started to think about these transparency roles in the broader context of what's going on in the healthcare marketplace. There's kind of like a constellation of market factors. And these market factors increasingly seem to be necessitating hospitals and ambulatory practices to really differentiate themselves in ways that employers and patients slash consumers care about. I mean, these CMS transparency rules for payers and, and hospitals are but one thing that is going on. But these rules ultimately mean that it's easier for patients and employers to price shop. It also makes it easier for employers to narrow their networks and exclude providers. Consider this impact and then think about that, how that fits with the ANC-TEFCA rule. So that ANC-TEFCA rule means that it's going to be a less effective tactic to prevent network leakage by hoarding patient data. So if patient data is portable, patients can seek out the best care provider without the friction of, you know, some kind of PHI transfer. Okay, so now prices are available because of the transparency rule and patients can walk more easily because of the TEFCA rule. So, you know, these two together could be a forceful combination. We also have the rise of consumerism. I just saw a study the other day, you know, kind of validating that consumers are voting with their feet if a provider does not meet the quality of care or the supportive patient experience that they believe could be found elsewhere. And add to that, 
the at-risk PCPs cropping up in various concentrations across the country. But then also you've got payers buying PCPs. And what that means is that you get these PCPs who control the referral flow. And they're taking an active interest in the downstream costs and population outcomes of specialists in their referral networks. So you've got specialists who maybe lack processes to minimize inappropriate care or who do not deliver consistently high patient experiences and outcomes. They could easily get excluded from those referral flows. So you take all these things together, the transparency, the Ankh-Tefka role, consumerism, and the disruption of certain referral flows. And if you ask me, I think all of this together means that providers who are more commodity and less brand may need to consider ramping up their triple aim endeavors. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Jeff Lieback, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you for having me. So today we are going to talk about the transparency roles, which are coming fast and furiously out of CMS these days. There are three. There's two hospital rules that are afoot relative to transparency. The first one went into effect, I believe it was last year, and had to do with releasing charge masters. Everybody agreed it was fairly... <laughs> unusable in the format that they were posted in, as well as the fact that what does a charge master tell you really, other than their incredibly high prices that everyone says they discount. So now we're talking about the rule that goes into effect on January 1st, 2021. And that one has two bits to it, if I'm understanding correctly. What are those two bits? Correct. Those two pieces are, one, an all-services file that requires hospitals to post every item and service, much like the charge master. But instead of just the price, they're required to post their negotiated rate with payers. The second part of that is a more consumer-directed file that includes 300 shoppable services. And hospitals can either post that using a shoppable service file or a patient estimator tool that many, many hospitals have been using to meet this requirement. Just understanding the first bit, and I guess this probably overlaps into the second as well. When you say all payers, I mean, basically any deal that that hospital health system has made with pretty much any payer, be that a, you know, the, the typical one that you're thinking about, like, for example, one of the Bucas, Blue Cross United, Cigna, Aetna, Humana, Anthem, or maybe they made a direct contract with an employer. Like, does that fall into that? Yes. So any price that is negotiated with a payer, with an employer, even the third-party payers that are you don't immediately think of, your multi-plans and other contracted rates, any negotiated rate by the letter of the rule is required to be disclosed. And that's one area that through a lot of our discussions with providers, they're struggling as to where to draw the line. Because Many hospitals have hundreds and hundreds of different contracted rates. And so you can see how the administrative burden of, of this rule kind of multiplies upon itself with every incremental payer and product and rate that a hospital would need to publish. Yeah, I could see that they pretty much have to go through their filing cabinets and any like document that had somebody else's signature on it, they're be like, hmm, do we post this? Exactly. And so because there isn't a threshold that says, oh, your top five payers or your top 90% of revenue, there's really a, a judgment call that a lot of hospitals are having to make to say, where do I draw the line? There's a third transparency rule that came out, not for hospitals, but this one is for payers. And this was just recently. What about that one? 
Yeah, hot off the presses here. So uh, the payer rule is a lot more comprehensive, whereas the hospital rule is just focused on hospitals posting their hospital-based rates. The payer rules are really designed for the payers to create tools for all of their rates to be able to be compared between sites of service, so physician, ambulatory surgery centers, hospitals, and other rates, and be able to compare them across types of service by code and really to try and create a more dynamic and patient-facing tool. So the payers are given a little bit more time. While hospitals are required for their compliance to be uh, by January of 2021, the payers have well into 2022 to complete their compliance. I'm assuming, I mean, based on what you're saying, there's going to be some overlap there. Like, you know, like the hospital rules that are posted should very well match the payer ones for that particular institution, right? Yes. The most interesting thing to me is that there's going to be about a year to 18 months where hospitals are posting a lot of different information related to their machine-readable files. And then the payers are going to come out and have a much more standardized approach because of the requirements being a little more stringent, but a, a lot more robust. In a lot of ways, I think the next 18 months are going to be the kind of the wild west of compliance, where we're going to see a lot of different interpretations on the hospital side. You're going to have 5,000 different implementation files across the country. And you're saying that because there's fewer payers than health systems hospitals. There's fewer payers. And if the payers are required to post everything about all providers, it becomes a lot easier to get your single source of truth from the payers. This is a transparency of the estimate, not necessarily transparency of the ultimate cost that anyone is beholden to adhere to. You know, like a hospital still could say, oh, well, well, you know, I know we posted that up on our portal patient or employer or whoever's looking at this, but, you know, you needed something else. So therefore, that's why we didn't adhere to the price that we posted. Correct. And that's why I think this will be the most useful for those shoppable services that have a much more narrow range of variation. So, you know, your CT scans, your MRIs, your you know, truly shoppable services where you know you're getting a certain service that corresponds to a certain CPT code and there's not multiple procedures or a lengthy stay or that opportunity for a lot of variation to come into play. We've seen payers already have price estimators related to these, you know, with various utilization of those tools. I anticipate that being where those apples to apples comparisons are going to be the most helpful. I think that we're seeing a lot of room for different interpretations of how those estimates are going to be generated. And and the letter of the rule isn't 100% clear on whether a hospital needs to just post its base rate and say, for that inpatient stay, you're getting a per diem and a percent of charge, or calculate that estimate based on a typical stay. So I think we're going to see some variation in how different hospitals handle developing those estimates and meeting the rule, especially as it relates to the more complex procedures with the higher dollar figures. We should have said spoiler alert before your your answer, because my next question there was going to be, how does CMS intend that this is going to be used? That's a great question. I, I wish I had a spoiler alert for this one. I think CMS's hope is by publishing prices in, and negotiated rates in a really robust way, it's going to enable payers and providers to reduce the amount that they're negotiating on price. I anticipate this looking a little bit like the trends that we saw in Massachusetts, where you know since 2010, Massachusetts has been heavily price transparent and also had some caps on rate growth. 
And so we did see a lower rate growth trend in Massachusetts than across the country, according to their the state AG reports. However, it's not necessarily because patients have been more educated and using the tools that have been made available to them. So it's less about the consumer, from what I'm understanding, and a little bit more about the local employers. I think there is an expectation that employers and consultancies and brokers and payers and providers are going to be leveraging that data in a meaningful way to gather and and provide market intelligence in ways that we haven't been able to in the past. I think the shoppable service file is intended to provide consumer access and use for those who are interested and understand it. I think that population remains fairly small. My hope is that providers and payers and other stakeholders take the opportunity to see that now that these tools are available, invest in that patient education and increase the utilization of these tools that patients can use. We'll see how that bears out. Yeah, I mean, there was that work that was done by Zach Cooper that found that the average patient drives by three lower cost MRI machines on their way to get to the one that they ultimately use. And, and I think yeah. that his group sort of found is that the power of a doctor recommendation should not be underestimated. That, that if a patient's physician says, I'm going to give you a script to go there, it takes a lot, the patient, you know, to go to some place that their doctor didn't recommend, that that's an, an well, intervention is required of a certain scale. I totally agree. I have two more data points on that. I think one, in the recent AG report in Massachusetts, I think there there was a number thrown out that it was about 4% of patients used the patient estimator tools that may have been out there from the payers to estimate price and shop. I anticipate those trends to continue. So if it is a benefit consultant or a payer that's looking over these differences in price on the, at least the hospital transparency initiatives, It's going to be the payer that needs to go through and change benefit design, for example, or come up with interventions in order to help educate their employees or steer them. You know, some amount of steerage would be required because if we just let 4% of the patients do what they're going to do, I don't think that's going to drive results that we're looking for here. I totally agree. I think employers and benefit consultants are going to have a new opportunity to explore and narrower networks than they have in the past because they're going to see it showing up in the data that you're driving past those two or three cheaper places. And now they're actually going to know the contracted rates that they're paying for those procedures and what the alternatives are. So I anticipate employers having a newfound power here that if they're willing to exercise and willing to push their networks a little bit narrower, And I think payers will have an opportunity to provide patients with more proactive knowledge of what their expenses would be and and to do that active steerage. Yes, they have been able to do in the past, but because this data will be more out there, I think it'll be really interesting to me to see how the startup and tech-based environment takes this data and uses it to create more consumer-oriented tools. So to me, that's, that's an innovation story that I'm really interested in seeing how it plays out. Yeah, and I definitely want to circle back to that. But the one point that I wanted to concur with, for sure, that you just made, employers can exert pressure on their health plans and hospitals to effectively get better pricing. And that was confirmed. The Rand Hospital Transparency Report 3.0 came out, and that was actually one of the, the takeaways from that report. So what's the philosophical underpinning of this tactic? I mean, obviously, CMS under Seema Verma did this for a reason. 
Yeah, so the strategy I think that CMS is employing here is if I make all this data available and allow market forces to create more competition, that patients will be able to make choices. Employers can exert that pressure we just talked about, and it will put a lid on price growth or even drive costs down. I think that that's the, the theory of the market here is that competition is good and transparency enables that competition. Now, you have had the AHA and hospitals themselves creating quite a hoopla that that is actually the opposite of what could happen. That if you post prices that everybody can see that in effect prices will go up. I think that what we see and what we will see is that there's a lot of price variation. There are hospitals and markets where the low payer and the high payer and the low provider and the high provider may be 50 to 100% off. They, they may be double the high payer and provider versus the low payer and provider. So I do think that this data will enable some of those underpaid, underpriced hospitals, as they might say, or the payers that are paying the really high rates to be able to make a case to those in the, their markets to say, we, we ought to be paid more like the market median. And so I do expect some low reimbursed hospitals to be making an argument that they ought to get paid more. How much success they'll have in doing that I, you know, remains to be seen. In the same way that I think the AHA, that they fear that some of the high priced payers that have more data now around how much more they're paying than some of the other payers in the market will use that to try and leverage their rates down. Just kind of applying some common sense here. If the AHA, which obviously represents the vested interests of hospitals, is coming out so adamantly opposed to this, you would think that they would love it and be lobbying for it if they thought net-net hospital prices would go up. So what is the sunshine disinfecting that they're so concerned (laughs) about revealing? Yeah, I think that there's really two different parts to their objection. I think one is certainly there are concerns of rates going down and this initiating that price competition or race to the bottom that we often hear about in pricing strategy discussions, not just in healthcare, but more broadly. So I I do think that's at the root of some of their concern. I also think that their commentary on the administrative burden and the challenges in implementing this in the timeline and and certainly amid other challenges that hospitals are dealing with, you know, in the pandemic and others, I think are a part of their opposition to it. And and the administrative burden is real. We're we're seeing that in helping hospitals trying to become compliant. And so I think their opposition is fewful. But I think your point and and the skepticism of the AHA's arguments has been concurred with in the federal courts that have struck down their their opposition. I think largely transparency is on is a train kind of coming down the track that I don't think it's going to be stopped. Whether providers win in in their appeal, which doesn't seem very likely, the payers are going to be able to to post this with with their rule. And I think in the next 18 months, this data is going to be coming part of the mainstream in a way that it hasn't in the past. If we're assuming a race to the bottom, then what is implied in that is that not only do prices go down, but also the quality of care goes down as well. That's typically what is implied by, you know, race to the bottom. It is kind of interesting that what we're comparing here is price in the absence of any kind of quality or outcome conversation. We're not measuring value. We're measuring cost. Yeah. And and I think having standardized measures of quality, and this is a a whole different topic for another (laughs) podcast on quality metrics, and I'm sure something you've covered and will continue to. 
But you know, having unified quality metrics, I think providers would want that to be a part of the story here linked to price. And just from talking to a lot of the providers, I expect many providers who are on that higher end of the reimbursement scale, that's going to be their, their talking points as this data becomes available. Yeah, and I think that there is data out of Massachusetts that substantiates that point that, you know, obviously there's academic medical centers, AMCs in Massachusetts that have had higher prices. And those prices have not necessarily been impacted a whole lot by having any sort of transparency into those prices. That their quality story is substantial enough to withstand any price pressure. Not just the quality story, but actually the patient choice story. And that over the years, patients have continued to gravitate toward those higher cost and presumably higher quality institutions. They're choosing with their feet. And so the, the share of volume that's gone to those higher, higher priced institutions has gone up over the last five years in Massachusetts. Definitely sounds like hospitals that have a brand that have invested in at least the perception of high caliber care are the ones that will be able to withstand price pressures quite a bit better than those who are, you know, have managed to commoditize themselves, however that (laughs) transpired. Absolutely. And I think commoditize is a word we're going to hear a lot more. What are those, even for a high, high quality, high value institution, is the value of the MRI or the CT scan that I'm getting from them that much more than the open MRI that might be in, in a, an old bookstore that's, you know, that they took <laughs> over in the strip mall. And I think that's one of the complicating factors is, yes, it's the physician referrals and it's also the data and the, the medical records and how, how transportable is my medical record. So I'm going to ask you a question, Jeff. I'm not sure if you've been paying attention to the news, but there was an election the other day. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can understand how you might have missed it. Do you feel like the Democratic leadership that will be assuming office in January, are they going to reverse this transparency stuff? So if anyone is opposed to it, you know, your guidance would be just wait till January because probably it's going to go away. I don't anticipate them reversing it. We haven't heard that from Democrats in the lead up to the election. Obviously, the, the Democrats have been focused on health care, but their focus has been on access and insurance and coverage and building on, and especially you know with President-elect Biden, building on the Affordable Care Act and, and some of the provisions, which by the way, the transparency provisions we're talking about here were actually originated in the Affordable Care Act. So despite it being a Republican administration that's driving this forward, They are actually building upon those provisions that were in the Affordable Care Act. But politically, I don't anticipate the Democrats making it a priority to undermine transparency. However, I do think there is a different theory of change that the Democrats have demonstrated during the Obama administration. And I anticipate CMS under a Biden administration moving back toward investment in value-based care and focusing on access and, and delivery and aligning incentives in that way and not using price as the primary lever of, of driving down costs. So again, I don't anticipate a massive halt the presses on the rule. Let me ask you this. What do providers, you know, so if I just polled your average provider across the country, you know, one of these hospitals that has been impacted by or is subject to the CMS transparency rule. Now, all of a sudden, we've got the payer one that came out. So is there shot in Freud? 
You know what I'm saying? Like, haha, <laughs> well, you too. I think the first thing that providers would say is, wait a second, why didn't they get until 2022? And I have to do it by January 21 with a pandemic that I'm continuing to deal with. So that's the first thing we hear from the providers is, wait, why did they get so much more time than we do? I think the second is, okay, even if I'm not compliant or if this, if things are changing, this data is going to be coming out. So I need to get ready whether or not the provider rule gets overturned in court or whether I end up paying the fine or have challenges, this, this data is going to be out there. So I need a strategy to help figure out what's going to happen when my, when my prices are out there. How do I compete? How do I defend them? How do I, how do I drive values? And, and maybe there's an opportunity for partnership down the road because as they look down the road at opportunities for reducing the administrative burden, it doesn't make a lot of sense for payers and providers to both have to present some of the same exact data to the public in different ways on different websites. And so to me, there's an opportunity for partnership and efficiency there that if the if and when these timelines line up, you know, I could see payers offering it as a benefit to providers to help them generate these files in a in a really rapid way or help them create a tool that aligns with their expertise in data management. If we're thinking about this payer rule now, I think if, if I'm an employer, I'd be super interested to know what the different payer contracts were with hospitals in my area that I knew for a fact I had a lot of my members going to. One of the things that I think CMS did that was really smart here was in addition to requiring the publishing of these payer-specific rates, so your Aetna rate for your PPO contract is X. They also required a blinded minimum and maximum for a given service. And so I could see even if that had gotten struck down, even if the payer specific rates got struck down in court, those blinded minimums and maximums become really valuable because if I'm a if I'm an employer and I can see that there's a minimum contracted rate in my market for an MRI at hospital X for two, you know, five hundred dollars. I want to get that rate. I want to know who's getting that rate and what do I have to do to get the $500 rate instead of my rate, which is $1,500. So I think it's going to, when employers start to see the potential savings that's out there, and if I'm a benefit consultant or even um, a payer, I'm going to look at what are those minimum rates and how do I begin to get those. That's really going to be the pressure point for large employers in markets, I think, an opportunity for them. So you had mentioned tech earlier and that there's an opportunity for tech. Were you thinking that about that relative to taking all this machine readable data and turning it into a consumer facing app? And now we're relying again on consumers to make these choices themselves. Or were you thinking yeah. about it more in relationship to you've now got these more sophisticated, I'm going to say entities like the, some of the benefit consultants, for example, or, or even certain the fee based brokers who have a vested interest in ensuring that their employers, you know, they're working for the employer as their customer. And it is in their obviously vested interest to ensure that that employer gets the best value for the dollars that yeah. they're spending. Yeah, I don't want to detail my billion dollar idea here, you know, <laughs> because I'm sure you have a lot of tech on. But no, I, I think there's an opportunity for, I think, for tech to engage in a couple of ways. One, I don't think that the price estimators that are out there have currently meet the needs of today's patient that, you know, with a dynamic mobile app and the ability to kind of truly shop in, in a way that other consumer friendly 
apps and companies have been able to. So I think there's an opportunity for that way for consumer engagement for you know those numbers to go up from 4% of patients checking to 10 or 20%. Just from a consumer, you know, right now you have to log on, you have to enter your insurance information, you have to figure out which website, you have to know the CPT code or the the DRG. So there's a lot of barriers right now that I think tech can help break down for consumers and help accelerate the patient education process and patient and the user-friendly nature of it. I also think there's an opportunity for tech to get involved kind of with the benefit consultants, the actuaries, to come up with unique ways to offer products to employers to think about incentivizing your members and your employees and your patients to go to lower cost sites of care for those services that are more shoppable. And, And so I think we've seen some of those efforts. There are a few companies that are already doing some of that, but I think this could be an opportunity for tech-enabled choice and tech-enabled insurance products and services that engage patients or engage choice in different ways. With Clover and some others, we have seen payers leading with their tech. If a payer isn't going down that road, this could be an accelerant to them choosing to do that. Well, hopefully it will actually function better. If I'm a (laughs) payer... What advice do you have for me right now? Like, you know, should I be preparing for anything, putting anything in my strategic plan, given the fact that now my negotiating ability is going to be able to be compared to the negotiating ability of my competitors? Yeah, I think you've been prepared for this for a little while, that price isn't going to be the primary vector of savings over time, but it's it's utilization, quality, total cost of care. But I would view this as a catalyst, as an accelerant of those strategies. So how do you now drive price to be a level playing field in which you can really start to focus on and work on some of those other variables? Because even if you're able to limit cost growth on price, you're still looking at high utilization, high baseline costs. I don't see price transparency as being this massive earthquake to the system that, you know, everybody all of a sudden goes and gets the exact same price for the exact same service. I think this is, if I'm a payer, I'm thinking about, you know, how do I use this as a launching point for driving down cost of care in other ways? The other points of value start to take on increasing importance. Let, Let me just confirm one thing. What CMS is demanding become transparent is not the discount. It's not the percentage off. It is the actual final price. I do anticipate seeing a lot of variation in how hospitals post some of this information from the different files because of some of the ambiguity in the rule and how how it's how it's out there. But I anticipate most hospitals posting on their shoppable service file, you know, colonoscopy is $3,000 for your Blue Cross PPO plan. But even in the machine-readable version, it's the actual price. It's not the discount off of, someone said this on LinkedIn, I thought it was great. What's the discount off Infinity? (laughs) Right. Well, and for contracts that are a discount off of charges, we anticipate hospitals are going to be doing that math for you. For charge code X, if you get a 40% discount off of charges, you're going to see on the same file the charge is $1,000. And your reimbursement amount, your negotiated rate is $600 because you get 40% discount or 60% of charges. What I forget to ask you, my friend. You didn't dig in too much to my billion dollar idea. So I'll I'll keep that one for next time. (laughs) But there's a lot of opportunity here for partnerships. You know, this, this really 
tests hospitals right now in a way to provide tech-enabled solutions and data to patients. And that's that's an area that hospitals struggle in many ways with that as an area of expertise. And so to me, there's a lot of opportunities for, for partnership here and, and for consumer engagement to be a new muscle that hospitals are building to this being an accelerant to them investing in that. So that to me is, is probably the biggest thing that's going to come out of this is hospitals trying to focus on really understanding how patient financial literacy and, and driving that up. And, you know, and I think payers are going to be launching toward that in, in 2022, as they have been on that journey for quite some time. So I'm really interested in seeing what kind of partnerships come out of this. And do you mean partnerships or do you mean vertical integration resulting in captive populations? I don't know. Could be both. But I think true partnerships to start, but that'll remain to be seen. So if someone is interested in hearing more about your billion dollar idea and or <laughs> the other work that you are doing, Jeff, where could they find out more information? They can reach out to me directly at jeff.liback at guidehouse.com or they can connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Jeff Liback, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. Thank you for having me. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at relentlesshealthvalue.com. If you visit the website, relentlesshealthvalue.com, you will also find a complete listing of All of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.